It's that height and time of year when there is a focus on Jesus Christ. You may catch it uh, in the winds of even popular culture. Jesus stands through all time demanding a response. A response from each one of us that are in this room to each one that's watching online, to our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, our family members. Behold, behold, your king is coming. What would you say about Jesus Christ? I do enjoy this beautiful time of year because it gives us the opportunity to focus in particular on the central work of Jesus Christ. And this whole comment, uh, the behold, that king is coming to you, is quite strange when we think about it, because we don't have kings in our culture. Oh, there's maybe kings in some other kinds of uh, cultural environments, that kind of thing. But to proclaim to you that your king is coming demands you to have some context for what an understanding of a king would be, or maybe not. Behold, your king is coming, or not. Because even though there's a heightened sensitivity to the focus on Jesus Christ during this particular week, for a lot of people, it's discarded because it's not all that relevant. We have the opportunity, though, to zero in and and have our hearts draw near to an understanding of that central truth. You know, a king is an interesting thing because not only is it uncommon for us, but we don't like the idea of somebody being in charge. We don't like the idea of somebody being sort of a lord over people. I mean, we live in America, right? Democracy. Everybody's got their rights. Why would I give up my rights to follow somebody else? The whole idea of your king is a challenge to the very self-centeredness that easily comes with our lives. And so for that reason, maybe a lot of times people just discard no or not. Not king. But this week is called Passion Week. And it's called Passion Week because of the passion of Jesus Christ not to come and to control us, to ruin our lives, or to, to, to make you look weird. Jesus Christ came to be your king to bring freedom and liberty and encouragement into your life and to mine. And that passion was poured out on the cross in Good Friday service, which we will look at in just a few days. The brokenness of his life and the shedding of his blood is a significant, significant, heavy experience that we should feel as surely as you've experienced the death of a loved one. Because the passion of Jesus Christ, he loved us so much that he loved us to the point of death. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus said, that one lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus didn't come to lord over us. Jesus came to save us, to free us, to set us on a path during this Passion Week. Passion Week, Palm Sunday. Think about this. It's the beginning of the most important week of the most important person who has ever lived on earth. And we've said it before that sometimes we sort of rush through the Easter season. It's not like Christmas where you get the decorations out and you have the lights and you sing the carols and you get all the Christmas parties going for the whole month of December. It's just like boom, 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 boom. Here it is. It's over. Easter's next week. Great. Have a good day, everybody. Easter, in my heart, 
is far more important than the Advent season of Christmas because it is the most important week of the most important person who has ever lived, and that week changes your life and changes mine and can change the lives of your friends. I don't know about you, but... um, Sometimes I have some weird sides to me. Do you get some weird sides to you? I, um, I like to watch the Weather Channel. Do you watch the Weather Channel? No, you don't, probably. Maybe it's because I'm from the Midwest and being from an agrarian culture, you were pretty dependent on what uh, weather was going to be as to how work was going to be able to go. And sometimes I just like to watch the Weather Channel or some other channels that do the weather just because it's background noise and there's no opinions on the weather. Now, they may be wrong with the weather, but at least you don't have to fight off all the opinions from different kinds of directions. So it's just sort of nice background noise. And this time of year is pretty exciting in the Midwest because you get some really significant storms. In fact, I got a text last night. I have a rental house in the Midwest and and my renter said, the really bad storms that blew off some of the siding. And I'm going, great, you know, I'm glad I got to deal with that problem this week. But storms, I love storms. I sort of miss storms being in Southern California. But the storms can develop into significant things like tornadoes. There were some tornadoes this week. I found when I came to Southern California that everybody in Southern California is terrified of the idea of tornadoes. I lived most of my life in the Midwest. I never saw a tornado. But the people in the Midwest are terrified of Southern California because of the earthquakes. Oh, my gosh, it just comes out of nowhere. At least with the weather, you see it rolling in, and you go, oh, we need to do something about it, right? We were putting up this huge building once, um, and uh, it got blown down by some straight-line winds. It was scary. But weather is an interesting thing for me because Uh, Maybe I watch it now because, especially during the winter, I'm glad I'm not in the Midwest. But um, the idea of seeing fronts that move in and the climate um, changes and the power of storms that can develop. And there's the concept of the perfect storm. Have you heard about this? It actually became popularized uh, in October of 1991, when there was the, this perfect storm that developed, and it was popularized through the Andrea Gale, which was a fishing boat that had six fishermen that was about 500 miles off the coast of the northeastern side of uh, the United States. And a perfect storm develops when there's different fronts that come together. And you can find yourself in the middle of these storms, and you are at risk for your very life. In fact, the Andrea Gale, the fishermen that were on that boat, they perished, and all they found of the boat was just sticks. There's three aspects that uh, can create a perfect storm. And the perfect storm can be uh, combined by adding these three. The western winds of a moving cold front which means it's coming from the west or a little bit northwest, and they're warm winds that are uh, coming, uh, getting impacted with a cold front that's happening. You add that to an overheated high-pressure system, all right, of a coastal system area, and then, which happened in October of 1991 in the perfect storm that was popularized, there was a hurricane that was coming up, reminiscent of a hurricane coming up the eastern coast an unpredictable hurricane of tropical energy. 
You bring those three together, you got a perfect storm, waves 60, 100 feet tall even. And you just don't want to be around that, whether you're on the coast or back inland. Well, this most important week, and the most important person that ever has lived on this earth, found themselves, beginning with Palm Sunday, in the middle of a perfect storm. We need to understand the climate, the cultural climate that was coming together at that time to fully understand all that not only Jesus went through, but that the culture was in at that moment that changed the trajectory forever. The perfect storm of Passion Week. And what were those fronts that came together during that perfect storm? There were the western winds of a cold-moving Roman Empire. Up into 30 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, Rome was just a republic. But Rome began to take over the known world at that time. And all the way, eventually, from Britain down to India was Roman world, Roman-controlled. And it was Julius Caesar that took that initiative. And, and then with his assassination came Augustus Caesar and then Tiberius Caesar. There were these Roman emperors that had control over all this place. And they were about peace, at least peace as they would see it. Peace by military might. Peace by control. Peace by subjugating people. And you had what's called Pax Romana. Now, Pax Romana, Roman peace, actually helped spread the gospel and the word about Jesus Christ all the way through into the Apostle Paul's days. But the Pax Romana was a false kind of peace because it was controlled from the Roman Empire. And so to control all these different regions, what would happen? Well, Caesar would establish kings in certain pro in areas. So... There was King Herod at the time of Passion Week. And King Herod was responsible for keeping the peace. That was your main thing. If you didn't keep the peace in your area, you're, you're gone. And so King Herod was conscious of the peace. But then the Caesars, they were mindful that the kings could go amiss. And so they had governors in different providential areas that were responsible military-wise to keep the kings accountable. And so we had... Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate was in charge of Judea area. And so the story begins to unfold in Passion Week. The most important week and the most important person who's ever walked on the earth. There was this tremendous movement of the Roman Empire and the Israelite people were under the subjugation of Rome. And they did not like those winds that were coming their direction, especially because there was a second aspect to the perfect storm of that week, and that was the overheated, high-pressure system of Jewish nationalism. What was the heyday of Israel? The golden age, the golden years, were King David of the Old Testament. When they had a king who was in control, and they roamed, and they had control over all things, and there was great peace, there was great prosperity. But the days of David were long gone, and they had come under the oppression, not only of Rome, but of other religions and other sects of people. And they longed for being established as a free country again. 
A few weeks ago in our follow series, we talked about Judas, and Judas is a critical part of Passion Week, right? Judas betrayed Jesus. How terrible of a man. And that is terrible. But Judas, as we talked about, was one who was confused. Because, you see, in his core was a very strong Jewish nationalism, and he desired to see the Jewish state rise up, and he thought Jesus was that man. So he sort of prodded Jesus that if I have them come and try to capture him, he'll take off the cloak of a rabbi and put on the robe of a king, and he will establish a material reign culturally in Israel. But that was reflective of Jewish nationalism, and it was pocketed in different places. And as you, as you saw in the clip moving up here, there were different people in the crowd on that Palm Sunday, and they had different aspirations and different visions. Some were declaring the Hosannas, and they had a heart for a Savior, a Messiah, coming in the manner and the vein in which He came. But there were others that were sort of prodding him on and hoping you'd become a king to, to take over the Romans and, 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 and just push him out of here. There was a strong sense of Jewish nationalism, and in one sense it wasn't necessarily that bad and ugly because they said they desired for God to be in control, but there was this self-centeredness that came about through this pressing, high-pressure system of Jewish nationalism. So Jesus, when he came into town, into Jerusalem on that day, you had your Roman soldiers. King Herod was in town. Pontius Pilate was ruling over things. And then there was this whole sectarian group, in one sense, as the Romans would see it, of the Jewish people uh, that were nationalists and they were zealots and they really wanted there to be uh, pushback, violence even, to be able to take over. And so that agenda was pressing. And here is this declaration of, behold, your king is coming. A lot of hopes some of them very false kinds of hopes. But then the third part of the perfect storm came into play. <laughs> An unpredictable part. And that is the unpredictable hurricane of God's eternal plans. God had a purpose. God had a purpose and He was seeing about bringing that purpose to fulfillment. For you and for me. So this isn't just a story lesson. This isn't just a, uh, a weather kind of a discussion. This is a vital life and death discussion for you and for me, for everybody who has lived before Christ, during Christ's time, after Christ, because what happened in that most important week of the most important person who has ever walked on this earth changes everything for you and for me. The reason we give an encouragement, hey, invite somebody to Easter, come back this week, or maybe, you know, Good Friday, whatever, just because, let's fill up the room. No. It's because what happened at Easter, through that weekend of Good Friday, the crucifixion, because we know following his entrance into Jerusalem, what happened, right? There was the arrest and there was the suffering and there was the crucifixion and then there was the death and then there was the burial the end of much hope 
But then on Easter Sunday came the resurrection, and that's what we'll celebrate next week. But this week, it all started to come together in the middle of this perfect storm. And so we are excited to be able to sing the Hosannas. What does Hosanna mean? Save now! Save now! Your king is coming! Save now! And so we find within ourselves a beautiful opportunity to hold out hope to the world and hold out hope to people that you know, that you see every day. You're not sure where they're at. Maybe you're not even sure where you're at spiritually today. And that's okay in one sense, as we said, to be a follower of Christ. It, it doesn't require you to believe. You just come and you seek to follow Him. It doesn't require you to have your act cleaned up. You come to follow Him. But we have the opportunity to point people to consider this incredible event called the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ this next week. These eternal plans, I think the most... Uh, I don't know. One of the things that just blows me away is how God in His sovereignty knows. He knows in His eternal plans 575 years before Jesus walked into Jerusalem on that day, there was a prophetic word that was spoken about His entrance into the city on that day, the most important week. The beginning of the most important week and the most important person. And where does that word come from? It comes from Zechariah. Back Zechariah chapter 9, beginning with verse 10, 9 and 10. It says this, 575 years before Jesus enters. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. Behold, your king is coming. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. Now, why the donkey, right? That's a question we ask. I mean, if you're going to ride in to a city, especially with the Romans, and you're going to establish your kingship, don't you think you might choose something other than a donkey? You would choose a war horse. In fact, in those days, uh, the war horses, they would go out to battle. And people would see and they would charge. Or if you were wanting to make an entrance, you would come in on something more significant than a donkey, right? But a donkey, I mean, it's like, you know, think of some uh, big parade, you know, with the celebrities or something. I mean, you, you don't have them riding on a donkey. Oh, look, there's a celebrity or like, boy, there's an athletic hero, whatever, riding a donkey. You know, you're being a really nice convertible. You're waving. You got entourage around you, security, right? Or think of the President of the United States. What do they call it? The Beast? I mean, it's a pretty nice Escalade, big Cadillac, fire, you know, uh, gun proof, all that kind of stuff. And you got multiple vehicles in front and behind and security detail, right? I mean, if the President's coming into town, you got a significant vehicle. 
A donkey? A donkey would be like putting a president in one of those, those smart cars. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if a smart car is a little teeny thing. I don't even think it's a, it's a toy, isn't it? Now, if you got a smart car in here this morning, I'm sorry, but I'm just like, wow, how would I ever get into that? So here's the king, right? Behold, your king is coming, and he's coming in on a smart car. It's like, yeah, right? Well, here's something to be known. In the biblical times, and it's referred to different places, if a leader came in to town on a donkey rather than a war horse, it meant that he was coming or she was coming in peace. Peace. Oh. So in this particular scenario of what happened on Palm Sunday, Jesus was not only tying into the symbolism of this prophetic word in Zechariah, but he was establishing that his kingship would be a kingship, not of war and torment, but it would be a kingship of peace, of peace. And you look at this verse here. It symbolizes peace, doesn't it? I will remove the battle chariots from Israel. Battle chariots were the most aggressive kind of uh, war weapon at that time, right? They didn't have drones and airplanes and tanks. The chariot signified strength and they would fight from those chariots and the war horses aren't needed anymore i will destroy the weapons used in battle the arrows and and all the other type of apparatus that would be used in battles and your king will bring peace to the nations so in one sense that jewish nationalism was a good longing is we need peace we don't have peace. Yeah, there's the Pax Romana peace, this false peace with Rome. But we want real genuine peace, and we need a Messiah. We need a king, like King David was, and bring him forward. We need a new one who will establish that peace. And so the prophecy was told, and they longed for this, but their means of seeing it come about was not the means by which God's eternal plans were placed in purpose. Because Jesus came riding on a donkey, not a war horse. Huh? Huh? Now, some didn't seem to care. They had the palm branches and they would throw down the cloaks, right? Those kinds of things. They were just wanting someone that would come and save now. Save now. It goes on. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Wow. 575 years of prophetic words spoken about the Messiah, the King, the greatest person of all time that would walk on this earth. His peace will reign throughout all the earth. Now this prophetic word was speaking what? Not only of the entrance of Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, but it was projecting out further when Jesus Christ will come back a second time and he will have his physical reign upon all the earth. Because right now, there's not a lot of peace in our world. Never has been. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace and part. He actually said this, but a sword division, because he knew what needed to happen first was in the very heart of mankind. Your heart, my heart, your heart, your friend's heart, your family's heart. There needs to be a king that comes and reigns in the heart first. 
as Lord of your life, your submission to him, before there ever will be peace in a kingdom that comes from heaven on high. And so this prophetic word then leads into us looking at the passage by which Palm Sunday, the beginning of the most important week and the most per- person has ever lived, that this story is in all the Gospels of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. This is how it's recorded in the book of Luke. After Jesus, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one else has ridden. Now, what's the significance of that? There was some sense of purity. All right, It wasn't just the donkey, it was actually the cult of the donkey who had never been ridden. And Jesus is going to place himself on that cult. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you trying to steal my donkey? And if anyone asks you why you're trying to untie it, say the Lord needs it. You really got to look into Scripture sometimes and think from a different perspective, right? More of a human perspective. Jesus just told somebody to go steal somebody's car. The Lord has need of it. He was working behind the scenes, working in the hearts of the guy who even owned the donkey and the colt. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. Oh, be! There is a donkey and a colt! How do you know? That kind of stuff would bother me if I was hanging around Jesus. How does he know? What else does he know? As they were untying the colt, its owner did come and ask, why are you stealing my car? Why are you trying to untie the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. To which the man who owned the colt said nothing, because God was working in his heart, God's eternal purposes and plans in this week. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt, they didn't have any good saddle around there, so they just threw their coat on it. And they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. In this particular version of the gospel, it doesn't uh, give mention to the palm branches. But, you know, the palm branches uh, were seen in that day as a victory. All right? So if you won races, those kinds of things, the palm branches, all that was there. So victoriousness was part of the symbolism of palm branches. And so they would throw down their cloaks. They would throw down the palm branches as he was coming into town. And they were declaring him their king, their hopeful Messiah who would change things in the midst of this perfect storm. As he went along, people threw down their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Now, I don't know how long that list is of miracles. But can you see them shouting out? Remember when you fed the 5,000? Remember when you healed the blind? Remember the, one that, the lane that walked? And what about that calming the storm on the uh, boat when we were in the Sea of Galilee? You were great and powerful. They were declaring 
all of the great accomplishments that he had done. You know, the Gospel of John says that Jesus performed so many miracles that, that it, they couldn't be written down. I always want to know, what are some of those other miracles that would have been so cool? But he was declaring forth not only his kingship, but also his divinity by the actions that he did in ministry. And the miracles were right in the heart and the center of that. And so they were proclaiming him as this great king and leader and be declaring the miracles that he'd done and praising them and quaint, still, little, meditative voices. No. Loud voices. It was a raucous party, him coming into town. Such high hopes. They'd sort of ignored the Roman soldiers that were around, and, and yeah, the Pharisees and some of the, the people of the Jewish nationalism. It's like, but, that, can you imagine the children that would come to him and, and the people who had been broken or some that were healed? They could identify with this Jesus. And, and he wasn't coming in on some high horse. He was coming in on a donkey. We can relate to him. The humility that was a part of his very entrance. And they declared, blessed is the king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The hunger and the longing for peace. The hosannas, save us now. Blessed is this king who comes, who's fulfilling the prophecies of old. Now there were some of the Pharisees in the crowd, grumbling. The gall, they walked up to Jesus and they said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to chill out. Calm down. This ruckus is not good. And look, the Romans are around here. This is going to cause some problems. And who does he think that he is? They're saying to themselves. So they went to Jesus and told him to shut up his disciples. I love the response. Joe gave reference to it in worship. Jesus just looks at him and says, I tell you, he replied. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out inanimate objects will cry out the praise of God even though people are told to be quiet. You have a friend that uh, works um, in engineering with some of the projects that NASA does in partnerships with uh, jet propulsion labs and stuff. And he actually worked on the... Um, rover that's on mars right now in particular the helicopter that the rover is going to drop out of its belly and see fly and he says you know sometimes i'm asked about being around scientists and all that and and how i deal with it as a solid believer and he says you know i just smile and i say well i just want to be there when the rocks cry out from mars they'll have some of the same elements that exist here on earth Think about the expanse of the universe. Not just rocks here, but rocks on other planets declaring forth the wonder and the splendor of the God Creator. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it, though. Why? He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every 
sigh. Now think about this. Jesus knows what's going to be happening to him. He's riding in on a donkey purposefully saying that he is a king of peace and he's going to bring peace ultimately. But he looks at the people around him into their eyes and the different kinds of people, different kinds of persuasion, those uh, that were excited for him being there, those that were disoriented or apathetic, those who uh, were angry with him. But he sees the masses and he sees the city. And if you've been in Jerusalem, if you're coming down from the Mount of Olives, you can see over the whole city. And as he's entering into Jerusalem with all this accolades and this hope and expectation, his heart is broken and Jesus is bawling on a donkey. And why is he doing that? Because he knows the very people that he is now on a parade walking and riding through will be the very people who succumb to the pain and the brokenness that's going to happen in that city. And why does it happen? Because they rejected him as the king who was the prince of peace. And they had wrongful expectations of him. And he knew that the way forward that they were going as a nation would result in the total destruction of Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happened. Some 30, 40 years after Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens, Jerusalem fell to the Romans, destroyed the temple, not one stone upon another. Jesus foresaw that. His heart was broken. He knew they would be fleeing, that there would be so much death because they did not accept him as king who came in peace to bring peace. What's your... um, What's your belief in Jesus? Not just who he is, but what he's supposed to bring to your life and mine. Sometimes we refer to people that pray to God like we think that he's our celestial vending machine or he's Santa Claus or like all things right. But Jesus came, God himself, the Son of God, to bring peace in the hearts because we are at peace with God. And you and I cannot have peace with God until we receive forgiveness for our sins. And we cannot have the peace of God until we have peace with God. Peace is a funny thing. It's not just everything needs to be in its rightful place and calm and no tragedy going on in my life. People, you know, live that I don't, uh, that are, are, are dying, they, you know, or, or people that uh, are, are, are against me in a workplace that they just chill out and things all get right. That's not peace. Peace is an inner place of the spirit and heart and relationship with the God who created us. And both the peace with God and the peace of God can come to us through the Prince of Peace, the one who entered as the King of Peace on that day. But you and I need to ask some of the same questions. Who do we think Jesus is? And have we received him in the measure and by which he came, or we try to make him out to be something else or some other demigod or some other wishful icon that, you know, just, just make my life all nice. 
That's not what Jesus came to do. And they rejected Jesus as the peacemaker. And for that, they had destruction in their city, in their nation, in their personal life. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone to another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. My hope is that you will receive Christ not only into your life as the forgiver and Savior, but the one who is able to bring you peace in the midst of all storms in life. You and I will find ourselves in the midst of storms. And those storms can be powerful and destructive. Those storms, my friend, are storms that are going on not only in your life, but are going on in our nation, in our world right now. There's the western winds of growing secular humanism. I read somebody this week that said, you know, just reasonable to expect that 10 years from now that you will lose your job in public institutions if you don't believe a certain way about sexuality and gender. We've seen a shift in the mindset and the culture of our world. Secular humanism is declaring that the human being is the center of all things. And that the human being has these rights, not inalienable rights from God, but rights to do what they want to do. And secular humanism, and whether you call it that or postmodernism, other kinds of terms, the secularization of our world is pressing against us. It's a front that's coming against us. And all of us, I, I was interacting with some people this week that says, I can't believe what's happening in our world. And you become indignant about it. But friends, Jesus never, Jesus never came into this world and pressed back against the Roman Empire because his kingdom was of a different realm. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't rightfully press back against ungodly things in our culture, but do not allow the storm and the winds of this culture to disrupt our spirits about the greater purposes of what God is doing. The western winds of a growing secular humanism are combined, and I'm not sure I should go there today, but I am. The overheated, high-pressure system of Christian nationalism. I'm all for godly people in right places of government and for godly policies that reflect scriptural Values. We had a whole series on the whole understanding of a biblical worldview. But there's a danger when we step over the line, as the Judaizers did, thinking that their nationalism of being a Jew and all the Hebrew stuff combined was going to bring about the salvation of their nation. Christian nationalism, whether you believe it a term or not, I don't know that I do. But I have caution when I see us pressing so heavily into believing that Jesus needs to garb himself 
not with a blood-stained robe, but to garb himself with American flag. And you can push back against me on that, but I see it destroying some of our whole healthy evangelical movement. Be cautious. Be cautious. There's other kinds of high-pressure systems as well besides that which I just mentioned here. I chose to particularly call this one out today because I think sometimes we're amiss as to how we need to rightfully uphold. We're given the opportunity to vote. We're given the opportunity to put people in places of leadership. There's a recall of the governor in the very state in which we live. There'll probably be another election. All that is rightful to participate in from a godly, biblical perspective. But leaders come and go. Presidents come and go. Jesus, the King of Peace, abides. Where's our hope? The perfect storms come into your life on a personal level. They're coming into our life on a secular, cultural level. But then there's the unpredictable hurricane of God's eternal plans. I don't know. When I pray and I seek God's face... I say, God, I pray not that there'll be persecution of the Christian movement even in our land. But I do know this, when there is persecution of Christians in any country around the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone forward. It's not been snuffed out. In Iran, when they thought the old Ayatollah Khomeini, would, when they took over the political and the, the military kind of might, it's like, oh, what's going to happen to the Christians in Iran? Do you know that in Iran, it's one of the, the stronger places where the Christian movement is growing right now? Why? Because of the persecution. We have the ability to lean into God's unpredictable hurricane plans and what are His purposes. I say all this to say you, in this perfect storm, you need to find the King that is coming every day. And he comes to bring peace in your life, in your family, and in your nation. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, says this, The truth must essentially be regarded as in conflict with this world. The world has never been so good and will never become so good that the majority will desire truth. We live in a fallen world of sinful people that are juxtaposed against the purposes and the will of God. Praise God if you've surrendered your life to Him and you've gained peace with Him. May we diligently work for His kingdom and His kingdom of peace. He will come again, not riding on a donkey, but on a white stallion. He will come again and establish His earthly reign in all the world, to the ends of the earth, as the passage in Zechariah stands. You've heard me say it before, but we stand in between the times and we have this day, we have this opportunity, we have this Easter to proclaim the entrance of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come into our worlds. Let's not overlook the transcendence of what Jesus can do in the hearts and lives of every person. He's the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And he can bring the truth, even when truth is not going to be readily absorbed in any culture around this world. We are in a battle. And as we look at things on Good Friday, and I trust you come back, we will look at the battle that Jesus fought in defeating Satan through his obedience to the cross. The presence of King Jesus brings peace 
you focus on his presence. Especially if you're in a time of turmoil, difficulty, and brokenness. Focus on the presence of King Jesus. He will bring the peace. Maybe not change your circumstances, but the peace of being in his presence is there. The presence of the King Jesus brings peace when the praise of the King is practiced. Your discipline to come and worship every week is part of your practice of experiencing the peace of God, the hope of God. We had our rooted uh, prayer experience yesterday, the rooted group that I'm in. It's a 10-week discipleship journey. And we had our prayer experience at Juan and Julia's house over here. And, and I didn't even get their permission. But one of the things that, that I have us do during our prayer experience is we take one of the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 148, and we go outside. And the football game next door at the Marietta Valley High School was, was playing. And I was thinking about how we cheer there. And I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to read through this psalm. I'm going to say a verse, and I want you, a phrase, and I want you to repeat the phrase. And we're going to yell it. We're going to shout it. What? The Axines might hear it down the road. And we declared the praise of God. The Lord inhabits the praises of His people. You want to experience the peace of King Jesus? Then you practice the praise of King Jesus, even in the midst of the challenges and the battles of life. And then, you take on the passion of His kingdom and pursue it with all of your heart. The presence of King Jesus brings peace when the praise of King Jesus is practiced. And the passion of his kingdom is pursued. That's the hope that we hold out on this day, on this Palm Sunday. On this Palm Sunday of 2021, God continues to be at work. Is he at work in your heart? Will you stand with me? Before I pray, I want to declare forth Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us, and we are His we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Are you ready now? Repeat the phrases of this psalm after me. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Oh, I think you're going to get better on the second phrase. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. Give thanks and praise to him. For the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. 
Hosanna. 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 Behold, your king is coming to you. Or not. Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords this hour, may we go forth on this beginning day, the most important week of you, the most important person who ever walked on this earth because you came from the heavens. And may we declare your praise. Lord, you do inhabit the praises of your people. And if we don't declare your praises, the rocks will even cry out. That's what you said. May we not sin or neglect that calling in our lives. And Lord, may you, King Jesus, bring to us peace as we praise the King. Lord, may we pursue with all of our hearts, with passion, your kingdom. Lord, I pray, as we were exhorted earlier today, for those people that we can invite next week to hear about the victory of the resurrection and how you have come to set people free. Lord, may we go forth this day glad in our hearts that we follow the king of the universe, even though the perfect storms are happening around us. And may we find ourselves diligent in bringing others to you in this most beautiful time of the year, in this most important week that we commemorate. God's people said, amen. I'll see you good Friday, 7 o'clock Eastern.